last night we talked about rooted, and I kind of gave you the outline. We're going rooted in, rooted in God is the starting point. And if you miss that, if you miss that starting point, you miss everything. You miss everything. Um, I'm sorry if those of you who just came this morning, that's okay. I'm just saying that if you are not rooted in God first, all this other stuff is just, it's superfluous. It's extra. Um, my husband took Spanish in high school and then tried to place into college Spanish. And he, he has this story where, he, you know, this is back in the day where we had Scantrons. And, uh, and he, you know, he was like warming back up to Spanish. It had been a while. And so he skipped the first two and was like, I'll come back to it as I kind of get in the flow. And then got to the end of the test and was like, I'm killing it. This is amazing. And then realized he forgot to skip the first two. And so everything was right, but everything was wrong because it was in the wrong spot. And so when we talk about relationships, right, which we're going to be doing this morning, if we don't start with God, we are rooted in the triune love of the Trinity, then, then this is right, but it's wrong. Does that make sense? We have to start with God in the right place. I did want to give you one um, kind of caveat from last night. I talked about if you want to grow deep roots in God, you have to delight, and then you have to live, you have to live with the disciplines, the disciplines of grace. And I just want to be clear um, that effort is not the opposite of, of grace. Earning is the opposite of grace. And so when I say discipline, we're going to be disciplined, that is going to be filled with effort, but it is not an attempt at earning the love of God. Do you understand that there's a significant difference between effort and earning? One says, because I'm secure in my identity, because of the undeserved, unearned by me, demerited, I have demerited his love, and yet it's given to me. Because of that, I put forth effort and I strain. We're working from a secure identity, not for a secure identity. That's the difference between effort and earning. So when I say discipline, I want you to hear effort not earning. Nothing you do, your quiet times, your prayer, your solitude, your journaling, fasting, none of those things earn you the love of God. That was earned by, by Christ alone. And I just want to make sure I'm super clear on that. So I, I'm still standing for a disciplined life, but I want you to know that discipline flows from our secure identity. It does not earn us our secure identity. Okay? Just want to make sure we're super clear on that. Um, I started yesterday talking about a quote from Alexis de Tocqueville, who was a French diplomat who came to look at America. And one of the things that he noted was our rootlessness and our restlessness. Another thing he noted was a rugged sense of individualism, right? Which we know is kind of part of the American spirit. Robert Bella, a sociologist, says this. No matter what, you know, we're a melting pot in America, lots of different first languages, but he says this. Individualism is the first language in which Americans tend to think about their lives. They value independence and self-reliance above all else. So whether your primary language was whatever your, your parents were raised, my husband was um, from Kerala, I said, and so his primary language was Malayalam. Um, but because he grew up in America, his primary language is individualism because that's what he's been raised in, right? That's kind of that it bleeds into who we are. Um, so we're, we're at this interesting place societally where there's this deep cynicism and growing distrust of relationships and people, and yet, simultaneously, this deep desire for connection and intimacy. Do you see how that puts us on this weird collision course? 
Um, there's this thing called the Edelman Trust Barometer. It's fascinating. If you're a business major, um, they have been studying since 2000, so the turn of the century, um, levels of trust societally um, in four main sectors. So business, media, government, and, and cap like biz uh, I said business, uh, nonprofits. The church would fall into that category, obviously. And they're just measuring. How is our society doing in our trust? What are we trusting in? And it's fascinating to see that over the past 20 years, they, they just come out, they come out with this report every January. It's fascinating. Edelman Trust Barometer is called. Um, but right now, our country trusts more in businesses than we do in our media, our government, or our nonprofits, including the church. We trust the almighty dollar and, and social influencers and, and advertising more than we trust our leaders, our churches, uh, all of those things. That's, that's a sad reality that we live in. So there's this growing cynicism and distrust of people, of authority, of positions, right, of power. There's a cynicism that's growing. And yet there's this deep, 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 deep desire for connection and intimacy. And people are finding this connection and intimacy often on a screen, right? a screen that I can control, these flat, one-dimensional relationships. We can find people and, that are just like us and think just like us, and we just get stuck in an algorithm, and that's our relationships. And that leaves so much to be desired, doesn't it? We are not created for this. We are not created for this. And this is before the, the age of the digital phone. Uh, Mother Teresa noticed this. Mother Teresa, who spent time with the dying in Calcutta, she said this about the West. It's a scathing report on us. She said, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there's a hunger for God. This is this spoken from a woman who surrounded herself with poverty and leprosy and great medical needs. And she said, your, your need is relationships. You need relationship with God and relationship with one another. Real, face-to-face, -face, messy relationships with people. And the reason that we long for this relationship, this connection, is what we talked about last night. We were created out of the fullness of the Trinity. And so we're going to go back there again. I'm going to read you the exact same verse we read last night because it's significant. This is the starting point. The reason we long for human relationships is that we were made in the image of a relational God who in his very nature is self-giving love and relationships. So you can't get around this. You're not going to surround yourself with hobbies and nice things and be satisfied because you were created. Your habitat, as I said last night, is the heart of God. It is that kind of love. And you were created for real relationships with real people. And anything apart from that is not going to satisfy. So Genesis 1, 26 through 27 again. Then God said, conversation before the creation, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Last night we talked about 
how this is set in the, the context of Hebrew poetry. And there's this beautiful parallelism going on, this complementary thing going on between the light and the dark and the land and the sky and the fish and the birds. There's all this beauty that God is doing, and it is good, and it is good, and it is good. And so it's very melodic. And then all of a sudden, God says, not good. Not good. This is not good. That would have, that would have sounded like a scratch on a record. What? What's not good? And he says, it's not good what? That man should be alone. And then he creates a helper for him. So before the fall, man was created for interdependent relationships. Right? Our need for one another is not a result of the fall. It is, it is a created thing. God said, this is how I wired you to be. Before sin entered the world, you were to be in relationship with me and relationship with each other. That is how he's wired us. We are dignified and we are derivative. We are made for, we are made for relationship. Uh, I have a quote here from David Benner, and he says this. The generative, which means it, it creates, right? The generative love of God was our origin, created from love, of love, and for love, our existence makes no sense apart from divine love. The God who is divine community is known only through human community. Do you hear that? God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit existed in fullness. They were constantly loving and serving one another. They were, they were, they were differentiated. They're three, and yet they're one. There was this self-giving love, and he says, from that you were born. And you will only be satisfied when you experience relationship with God and relationship with other. We know this, don't we? Our greatest joys come from relationships. And our deepest sorrows and our deepest wounds come from relationships. A mentor of mine says, when life is, is bad, everything's bad circumstantially, but relationships are good, life is pretty good. When life is incredible, you're killing it at work, you lost all the weight, you've got the new house, and relationships are tanking, life is terrible. Because as go relationships, so go our lives. That's how relational we are. Because we're made in the image of a relational God. Okay? So relationships are significant. We say in our church that whatever's broken in family has to be fixed in family. Does that make sense? So if you were broken in relationships, and we were all broken through relationships, family of origin, friendships, you name it, the church, you can't just go and just heal that by yourself in therapy. You have to actually experience relationships. Therapy is important. If that's part of your story and trauma, that's great. I'm just saying that that alone is not sufficient. You have to be in community with people who love Christ. That's how you're going to heal. The wounds from community are healed in community. Um, when, we, when we read the scriptures, we tend to read them with that rugged individualistic lens that, that Tocqueville was talking about, that it's only gotten more and more entrenched. We read the scriptures as you, right? Most of the commands we read in the singular. Most of the commands given in scripture are given in the plural. It's y'all. So even John 15, we talked about John 15 last night, right? I'm the true vine, abide in me. If you're like me, you hear that and you go, I need to abide in Christ. I need to abide. He's talking to 12 men. It's y'all. All of those you is plural. He says, y'all, abide in me. Together, abide in me. That is a communal command that we have just internalized and said, okay, I'm going to go abide. You go abide. We all go abide. And he's saying, no, 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 you abide together. And, and, and couched in John 15 is that the command to love one another. And that's couched 
in, in the friendship we have with God. Do you see how our relationship with God and our being anchored in God affects our relationships with one another? And then these relationships are supposed to propel us back, back into depth of relationship with God. That's how God intended it to be. There are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. It's a lot of one anothering that God assumes for the body of Christ. Community is deeply significant to walking with God. Deeply significant to walking with God. Not least of these reasons is, is that there's an apologetic attached to our love for one another in the body of Christ. There's an apologetic attached to our love that comes from John 13, 35. Jesus said this, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Not by the way you walk, not by the way you talk, not by the theology you spout. Those things are significant. But what has he said? This is how they're going to know that you belong to me. And it's this, if you have love for one another. So he just attached the watching world, seeing Christ and knowing that we're his disciples with the way that we love one another in community. In real, messy, broken, face-to-face, we need to forgive each other and cover up community. That's what's attached to that. When we moved from South Carolina, I mentioned last night that we moved from South Carolina to Southern California 13 years ago. And we had been doing college ministry, big, you know, big campuses, God had been doing a ton. And, and in South Carolina, it kind of went like this. You introduced people to the king, and they, they came to know him. They submitted to him as Lord, and then you introduced them to the kingdom. Now that you know the king, welcome to the kingdom. This is how we do things around here, right? And then we would teach them, you know, this is how we do purity in light of, in light of the king, and this is how we do relationships in light of the king, and this is how we do eating, fill in the blank, discipleship. This is how we do it in light of the king. When we moved to San Diego, we noticed something really different. And that was, we're, do, we're still declaring the gospel. We're still saying, hey, this is the Lord. This is what he is like. And people, people are not drawn to the king initially. They were drawn to our community. So they would come and they would be part of our fellowship, mostly because they saw something different in the way we loved one another. And we'd keep telling them about the king. But what was happening is they were being drawn to our kingdom lifestyle. They were drawn to our community and the honest, authentic, real love we had for the sacrificial love we had for one another, the way we disciplined our children in love. And they'd never seen anything like it before, these lost people. And they were drawn to the kingdom. They saw the kingdom. And then at some point, we're declaring the king, we're talking about it, they kind of bump into the throne. You know, it took three, four years. And they'd turn around and we'd be like, that's the king. That's the one we've been telling you about. That's the reason we love each other like this. There is an apologetic to our love in a post-Christian culture, right? They are drawn to friendship. There's a whole new report out about loneliness. I don't know if you've read it. It's another scathing report of our culture, but we are incredibly lonely people. And people, we have people coming to our little church plant that would say, I'm an atheist, but they come every week and they sit in the back and they said, because you guys love me. And, I, and, and you play basketball with me and you know my name and you pray for me. It's unbelievable. They come to lunch with us after church. And they're like, we don't have anywhere else to go. You love us. They don't know the king yet. They will. I'm convinced that the Lord will work in them, and they will. They're going to bump into him. There is an apologetic attached to our love, especially on the West Coast, especially in a post-Christian culture. So the way we love each other matters. So what we're going to be doing this morning is first I kind of want to give you guys a paradigm of relationships, and then we're going to dig into Romans 12, which is a part of Scripture where Paul talks 
in depth about how do we do this one anothering thing in real life with real messy broken people with real wounds um, with real gifts at stake Um, but before we do that i want to address kind of a paradigm Um, this is the tool for today it's coming at the front end um, of codependence independence and interdependence okay so there's there's, and this isn't like, okay, if you're, you're always in one camp, people are always like, are you codependent or are you independent? I'm like, oh, it depends on the day, and it depends on the relationship, and it depends on the season of my life that I'm in, which one I flow to. But there's, there's two ditches we can fall into when we're doing gospel community, okay? The first is codependence. Codependence. Actually, I'm going to start with independence. The first is independence. Um, and it's this idea of kind of it's me and Jesus, and we're good. This is I came to know, I came to know Christ from a, a broken home and had had plenty of wounds and trauma. And so I, I thought I was good. I was like, I got Jesus now. We're good. I'm just going to do me and him. That's how we're going to do this. And it worked for a little while until I realized that's not how this Christian life actually works. And it was terribly lonely and it, I wasn't getting anywhere. And God said, no, 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 no. When you love me, you love my bread. You love my people. They're attached. So independence, the spirit of independence is literally how, how Isaiah describes Babylon. And when he's talking about Babylon, he's not just talking about the place of Babylon. Babylon in scripture is, it represents everything that's opposed to God. The opposite of the way God operates in the world. And this is what he says of Babylon in Isaiah 47. You say in your heart, I am, and there is none besides me. That's the spirit of independence. I am. And there is no one beside me. That's the spirit of independence. And it is completely opposed to God. That, the reason that's so scathing is because God is I am. Who does God give his name to Moses? He says, who am I? I am who I am. And so when Babylon says, no, I am, that's a repeating of what we did in the garden. No, no, I got this, God. I'm self-reliant. I'll figure this out. Give me my verses. Give me my Bible. And I'm going to walk with God. That's an independent spirit. And a lot of times it's self-protecting, Right? The reason I want to do that is because I don't want to get hurt, right? I'm going to protect myself, so I'm not going to be vulnerable, and I'm not going to let you in. Or I'm going to let you in. You know, Brene Brown talks about the difference between transparency and vulnerability, right? And so I can be transparent with you, and transparency says I'll tell you things that I've struggled with, right? So an example of transparency would be last week I was really struggling to release my, my teenage boys because they're, they're, and trust them to the Lord. I'm being transparent with you. Vulnerability is inviting you into it while I'm still in it. Does that make sense? I haven't put a bow on it. I haven't said, oh, I was struggling with that. And it's literally, I am trying to control my children because I'm scared that God's not going to protect them. So I've got my hands all up in it. And I'm nagging. and I'm. That's, That's vulnerability. You see the difference? So a lot of times people can look like they're being in community. And you are. You're there. You're being transparent. And that's good. I'm not... We still want to be transparent. But community requires vulnerability. It requires us inviting people in when we're in the middle of it, not after when we kind of figured it out and fixed it up. Does that make sense? So independence is like the spirit of Babylon. I am and there's no one beside me. And oftentimes, this is less personality and more it comes from an unspoken vow that we make. So I said I grew up in a pretty broken home, and so I made an early vow that I can't trust anybody. I didn't say that. I didn't say as a four-year-old, people are scary and relationships are volatile and people are dangerous. I just said, okay, I've got to be perfect and I'm going to perform and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to rely on anybody because they're not trustworthy. They could really hurt you. 
And I lived like that. I lived like that until I came to know Christ. Right? So oftentimes when there's a spirit of independence, there's an unspoken vow. And it's usually a wound and a hurt where we say, I'm going to do this by myself. And it doesn't work because that's not how we're made. Remember, we're made in the image of a Trinitarian God. You're going against your design when you live independently and in self-reliance. It doesn't work. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. I'm sure you read it, but I'm going to read it to you about vulnerability and love. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it around carefully with hobbies and luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket, casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. Impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. If we're going to step into relationships, we're going to be vulnerable and we're going to be hurt. And God, we have, what is at the center of our, of our faith? The center of our faith is that God who is completely safe, making himself vulnerable as a baby in the incarnation, coming, extending his heart to a people who are surely going to reject him, taking on their pain so that we could experience love. At the center of our faith is vulnerability. The vulnerability of the unchangeable creator of the universe. So do we think we're going to be able to do this Christianity thing without being vulnerable? That's ridiculous. We're going to be hurt, and our hurt is going to propel us deeper into the heart of God and deeper into the gospel and deeper into forgiveness. And then we're going to be able to forgive one another with the love and the forgiveness we've received from Christ. And we're going to do that until the day where there's no more pain and there's no more sin and there's no more brokenness. This is the only time on earth that we're going to get to experience forgiveness. When we're in heaven, we're not going to have stuff to be forgiven of anymore. Right? Bearing with one another patience towards one another, loving one another sacrificially. Those things we're not going to need in heaven. We're going to do those things naturally. This is our only window for that, right? That's incredible. Okay, so that's, that's one side. We can flip on the side of independence and say, you know what, yeah, I'll, I'll go to community group, but I'll just share the stuff that's manageable and then I've got my, 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 my thumb over. I'm not going to share the real stuff. I'm not going to tell you what's really going on in my heart. So that's independence. The flip side of that, the other danger that we can fall into when it comes to gospel community is codependence, is a codependent spirit. And codependence, the idea of codependence is this. My happiness, my peace, my security depend on you, right? I need you. Not just I want you to be secure for my teenage children. I want them to be secure. I want them to be healthy and happy and flourishing. Codependence says I need you, <laughs> to be healthy, happy, and secure, or I'm not healthy, happy, and secure. It's attaching my needs and my security and my peace to another human being, another created human being. And that is the definition of idolatry. Okay, that's Romans 1. Romans 1, 25. Paul's talking to the Romans. He's trying to establish what has gone wrong in the world. And he says this, Romans 1, 25. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Codependence, we put too much weight on human relationships. And the image I have for this is, you know those little like 
old school Dixie cups you used to get at the dentist and you mix the mouthwash around the little swims. It's like putting a cinder block on a Dixie cup. When you put the weight of, of divine love, of perfect love, the weight of your needs that only God can fill on a human relationship, you crush it every time you crush it. You crush it. You have to put the weight on that which can hold the weight. When we have divine, deep longings, we have longings for these things that we were created for, the only one that's going to satisfy them is Jesus Christ, is our triune God. You have to put the weight where the weight belongs. When you do that, you can enjoy the little Dixie cups for what they are. This is a flimsy little Dixie cup. It's a lovely Dixie cup, but it's a Dixie cup. And, and I'm not expecting you to meet my needs, right? You fail me, and that's okay, because I'm going to fail you. I'm going to disappoint you, and you're going to disappoint me. But God does not disappoint, it says in Romans 5. This hope does not disappoint us. And so in, in any Christian context and community, there's going to be a tendency to slip into codependence, into I'm going to be okay if, you're, or if there's a gap or there's a need, we rush to fill it, right? We have to be careful of codependence in our, in our relationships with people. We are the pointers, not the point. Okay? We are the pointers, not the point. And so there are going to be gaps in our relationships. There's going to be needs that we're going to be tempted to want to rush in and fill. That's a savior complex, and it doesn't work. But we get to point people to Jesus. We get to say, I don't get to fix this. But I'm with you, and I know the one who does. I do know the one who fixes this. So we've got to be careful for the independence and the codependence. The way of Christ, the third way, 